Hi, this is Travis Tritt, and you're listening to Your Morning Coffee, the podcast with Jay Gilbert and Michael H. Art. Weekly music news for the new music business. From Music X, how do you discover new music? From music business worldwide, TikTok is running everything. From Hypebot, sonically, learn from Pledge Music's mistakes to launch a music crowdfunding platform that works. And from Ludwig van Toronto, listening to Kenny G, asks the question, what is good music? Oh, what is good music, Jay? Well, we're going to talk a lot about that. Welcome, strap yourself in. You are about to be listening to the Your Morning Coffee podcast, episode number 58, because it starts right about now. Stand by for transmission. This is London Coffee. Wake up! The revolution is at hand! Your morning coffee is on the Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news for the new music business. It's the highly curated, agitated, advocated, moderated, and liberated digital music information that you need to know. We are your digital music authority. Now, from our studios in Hollywood, California, here's your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. Well, Jay, top of the morning to you. Now, today you do have your Vikings shirt on. Yeah. The Vikings, of course, are tied for first place. Yeah, they haven't even won a game. But they're also they're... tied for last place. <laughs> well, okay. Well, if you're going to bring, if you're going to get technical, about there you go. Exactly. It's, but uh, as you keep saying, hope springs eternal. So it, hope, it really does. Hopefully, I love your going. your intro. It reminds me of, of my friend uh, and business partner Jeff Mosco. When we worked at Universal together, we would play music a lot, and as he was queuing it up, he would always say, "And it goes a little like." yeah it's uh and and yeah it's in radio you do those kind of you know when when you know somebody's going to drop something in right after you in the edit it 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 makes you sound super cool so you remember our intro from glenn peoples from billboard he had this cool intro for your morning coffee (laughs) podcast and i love he does his little funny you know your morning Morning jacket yeah but then at the end of it he goes uh take it away boys that's right Take it away, boys. Yeah. <laughs> and here we are. Well, Jay, you know, uh, uh, so much to talk about. Um, and I don't even have my, my, my stuff in front of me here. Um, I know. I was just pulling up my, uh, <laughs> my ad script. As we're pulling that stuff up, I wanted to... Um, you may have seen this. Um, there was an article um, written by Dave Cool uh, from the band Zoogle blog, but it was actually on Flypaper as well. Um, 14 music business podcast yeah. you should be listening to in 2021 
And how cool was that? They they call out uh, your your morning coffee, the podcast. So thank you, uh, yeah. Dave Cool, and also um, the other podcast I do, Music Biz Weekly, with Michael Brandvold. He mm-hmm. calls that one out too. So two out of fourteen. That was a good uh, a good, good morning. So a good haul, and thanks to Dave Cool yeah. for a just having the coolest name in the world because Dave Cool is a great name. You know when you when you get an email from Dave at the bottom it says Dave Cool, and then in parentheses it says. Yes, that's my real name. <laughs> and my dad had a high school friend named Taze Cool, T-A-Y-S, which is like, that's a weird name, but very cool as well. And he had a company called Cool Fuel. And he, he has since passed away, and he sold the company huh. before he died. But the trucks are still on the road. So I still see the trucks, the tanker trucks that say Cool Fuel on the back. So we'll have to get a shirt wow. for Dave Cool with the Cool Fuel yeah, logo. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway. By the yeah, way, thank the you, guy Dave. that I get to talk to, he is not just a pretty face. Of course, he is kind of a dead ringer for Brad Pitt, to be honest. Oh, my God. Uh, but, of course, he's the curator of the Your Morning Coffee. He's Jay Gilbert. Uh, if you don't know about the newsletter, shame on you, because it's weekly music news for the new music business, which, of course, is what we do here, no coincidence. And he's a former executive with Universal Music, Sony Music, Warner Music and Fox Home Entertainment, Jay yes. Gilbert. Well, I am super fortunate that I have as my co-host this gentleman right here, uh, Mike Etchart, longtime host of Sound and Vision Radio, formerly of SST Records, Warner Music, Capital EMI, and Universal Music, where I first met him and we uh, bonded over great music and cheeseburgers, things like that. <laughs> Actually, that All predated good. the cheeseburgers. Cheeseburgers came later. Yeah, you're right. It was the good music. And and Jay had yeah. a killer collection of bootlegs, specifically Beatle bootlegs. And yeah. uh, that was... That Still was, do. Yes, you do. <laughs> and I do too, by the way, because that's when I met Jay. He, <laughs> yeah. he handed them over. Uh, yeah. And by the way, we are both, Jay and I are both so fortunate to have just wonderful folks that help us put this on every week. And we, uh, we are super proud to be sponsored by TiVo Music Metadata, dedicated to bringing order to the chaos of digital music. TiVo Music Metadata offers obsessively deduplicated artist, album, and song IDs, expert written editorial content and ratings, verified images, weighted deep descriptors, similar Mm. artists, band members and influences, authoritative credits, personalization, discovery and search APIs, purpose-built solutions for classical music, and a global connected car platform linking broadcast radio with streaming. To learn more, go over to www.tivo.com slash music. And of course, if if any fans of music know that data is king, because yeah, you've got to know everything. what you're listening to and who was on it and who produced it and who played the percussion yes, and all that stuff. Yes, sir. Love those guys. Your Morning Coffee podcast is also brought to you by our friends at Banzoogle. Love Banzoogle. Uh, built by musicians for musicians, Banzoogle is an all-in-one platform that makes it easy to build a beautiful website and EPK for your music. All of the features you need for a professional website are already built in, like hosting and a custom domain name, dozens of fully customizable design templates, tools to sell your music and merch commission-free, commission-free crowdfunding and fan subscription features, mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send newsletters, social media integrations, and live support from their musician-friendly team seven days a week. Your Morning Coffee podcast listeners can go to banzoogle.com, 
Try it for free for 30 days. Just use the promo code MORNINGCOFFEE, all one word, and you'll get 15% off your first year of any subscription. That's Banzoogle.com, promo code MORNINGCOFFEE. And we are also sponsored by HypeBot. Since 2004, HypeBot has chronicled the new music industry and the trends and technologies that are changing how music is discovered, consumed, marketed, and monetized. It is edited daily by founder Bruce Houghton with help from Owen Davis, HypeBot. And sister blog Music Think Tank are published by live music discovery and marketing platform Bands in Town. And you betcha, Bands in Town, over 55 million live music fans trust Bands in Town to get personalized concert alerts, recommendations, and messages from their favorite artists. It is the number one artist service platform connecting over 530,000 artists with their super fans. Managers, labels, agencies, and artists access their own dashboard to manage and promote their tour dates across all platforms. So big shout out to Banzoogle, to our good friends at HypeBot, to bands in town, and our latest to TiVo Music Metadata. So boy, Love that. couldn't do it without all those great folks. Thank you very much. Yeah, so Jay, what do you say we jump into, I, there's no other way to say it, but this is just epic news. We're yeah. talking about the Billboard article. Uh, U.S. recorded music revenues returned to double-digit growth. This is the RIAA mid-year report. Yeah. And it's kind of like getting that report card. It is. This is is. like, oh, my God. Uh, Starting within the first half of of 2021, revenue grew 27% at retail over the first half of 2020 to $7.1 billion, which is up from $5.6 billion. Wow. Resuming the trend of large year-over-year jumps that have been the norm in the industry since 2015. And, you know, we're going to, we might actually just sort of mention next, uh, later on in the show about the um, Universal Music's uh, public offering, which is going to be yeah. this week. And yeah. I will remind you, because you remember very clear, uh, very, very much so, you know, we worked. We were. We have both worked for Warner Music Group. We have both worked for Universal Music Group. Those that at one time were connected to major movie studios who couldn't wait to disconnect and flush them down the toilet because the music business was in the tank and nobody yeah. wanted to be involved in that illegal file trading oh and my all God. of that. It just really took a huge hit, and we were still depending on uh, declining CD sales. Exactly. But it is miraculous. And I don't think anybody could have predicted the resurgence like like it is now. I mean, it's really, really stunning. And you got to think that Universal Studios would love to have the music division back and, right. and, and maybe Warner, Warner Brothers Studios as well. It's a different business now. And, you know, all of this growth... Um, people think it's, you know, it's streaming and, you know, streaming is almost 85% of the revenues and that's up 26% year over year, as you mentioned, but it's also these licensing deals, yeah. you know, like with Facebook and Peloton that brings in a load of revenue. And that is also what's boosting these numbers. Yes, it is. And, um, and it's, of course, you know, we've talked tons about, um, all of these, companies coming in and buying up publishing catalogs. And that is another, you know, the the flip side of all of this news and is that showing again that these were great business decisions from the, for these companies. Yeah. Um, Yeah. We're also, you know, we're looking at uh, vinyl. We we talk a lot about vinyl um, and, you know, it's up 
you ready for this? It's up 94% year over year. I could 94%. And, you know, you and I talked about how I started replacing my favorite albums on vinyl during the pandemic, you know, searching for them. And, and there was such a, uh, a backlog of vinyl um, and limited pressing. And you and I have talked, you know, a lot about that. It's, it's become a pretty big thing. You know, it's up to $467 million. And that's, you know, um, of course, they have the caveats that, you know, uh, the retail closures, you know, kind of hurt things. But uh, thankfully, the record store day with their drops, you know, you know, it really helped all those physical sales and got people to go buy them. You know, even CD revenues, which, you know, have been declining, it actually grew 44 percent. Unbelievable. To, I, I couldn't believe two hundred and five million dollars. Now, vinyl is still outselling CD and has been for a, a little while. Well, but uh, yeah, and good, and you know increases. What, what I thought about too with those CD or I'm sorry with the vinyl numbers is you know we've talked a lot about the supply chain issues and you know these are stunning numbers even in in the reality that there's there's so many things are back ordered unavailable and the pressing uh, the pressing plants are working around the clock to try to keep up with the demand which they're not able to do. So yeah. hard to imagine what those numbers would be if the supply chain were fully up and running and able to crank yeah. out every, you know, to, to actually meet the demand of vinyl. Exactly. Right. And the only negative in this report, and it's not really that big of a negative, and it's certainly not unexpected, is that digital download sales um, continue to decline. Um, they're down 6%, yeah. um, which isn't huge, but digital track revenue is down 12%. Um, so... Uh, you know, people just aren't downloading um, like they used to. And why would they? Because, you know, you've got streaming, which makes everything right there in your pocket. Yep. And if you want that premium experience, um, well, it's what I call that anyway. Um, you know, you can get the the vinyl and some of these great packages that are coming out. I just love, you know, the different colored vinyl packages and the different, you know, premium packages they're putting together it's really cool to see this stuff come back and you just experience diff, uh, music in a different way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's that, it's that passive versus active listening. And, and again, to get back to our former employers, universal, do you think they were dancing when they saw this come out? Yeah. You bet they, they are. And so yeah. talk about great timing for them for this public offering. That's going to happen Tuesday, I think. Um, yeah, to get this sort of news, and boy, it's mm -hmm. it is unreal. And who could have predicted that back in say two thousand and four or something? Yeah. You know, it's yeah. I I, I, I love these premium kind of packages people mm -hmm. are putting together. I saw one last week. Um, it's an anniversary. I think it's the forty fifth anniversary of Kiss Destroyer, and there were several. Uh, I'm guessing maybe five, six, seven different. Uh, iterations of this deluxe package. They had the big giant one for a couple hundred bucks that had, you know, books and photos and uh, uh, outtakes and, you know, demos and things like that. And I reached out to the product manager at Universal, Jeff Fura, an old friend of mine. Yeah. And and just kind of touched base with uh, Jeff on that package because uh, the the Kiss fans were kind of going nuts. You know, that it, it's it's long overdue. And I, I believe they're coming out. And Jeff didn't say this, by the way. But I, I believe there's some coming out for a rock and roll over and some other things that we've been hearing rumblings about. But uh, some really interesting packages. You know, I was telling a friend of mine, I have the Queen vinyl box set. And it's got... 
all of the out studio albums on colored 180 gram vinyl, which is amazing. But also it comes with like this coffee table book with beautiful images and wow. really well written. And man, I, I think that's kind of the future of this business in the sense that yes, there's streaming and that's great for that experience, but you want a deeper, more premium experience, more lean in, so to speak. This, this is the way. Without a doubt, you know, it's, uh, it is amazing how, um, well, and I, th I think it, it's, it goes, my experience, at least in the, in the recorded music business back in the day was that they really tried to focus on just one offering. <laughs> you know, it's, let's do CDs because that's really easy to focus on. And, you know, we, you, in the catalog divisions, we always did kind of these premium packages, but it was always just one thing. And, and, mm -hmm. and certainly there are, you know, people consume music in different ways. And, you know, whether it's a, an Atmos experience or whether it's a vinyl experience or whether it's like a premium package experience, High def audio. Yeah, exactly. Whatever. I, it, it every there's a lot of different forms with which this product can take, and I and mm -hmm. I applaud that. And I think it was yeah. kind of kicking and screaming they went doing this, but but at least we're there. Always, now. yeah. Which is, <laughs> you know, let's make these premium products and recognize that yeah. lots of people consume music differently. You know, like passive yeah. versus active listening, and premium versus kind of a standard thing. So it's. It, there's a lot of different ways to present this, and that's a and yeah. it's a continual marketing process to refresh mm -hmm. and refresh product, basically. You know, yeah. it's, and I I believe that we went somewhat kicking and kicking and screaming in into, into almost every new yeah. configuration. Yes, I remember when CDs came out. It took a hot minute for that uh, for us to kind of you know get into that as an industry. When when downloads came, that was really challenging. Everybody was trying to come up with their own codec, their own version mm -hmm. of uh, downloads, so they could uh, have uh, digital rights management uh, attached to it, a DRM, right? And streaming, it, it it took a minute because everybody's inherently afraid of things they don't understand, right? And I think that the one thing we learned is that you cannot stop technology you know it's you either have to get on that bus or it's going to run you over so yeah. anyway really good numbers uh really good sign uh for the music industry uh coming through this pandemic uh that these numbers are really good yeah it is uh i mean it, it they really couldn't be better <laughs> it was and here's a question for you and and this is this is sort of a uh i, I think about this a lot this is my my personal observation is that okay so the business is cranking compare and contrast how many people do you think or, or my opinion is that there is considerably less people working in the major label music business than there used to be how much less do you think that is if you were a guessing man i'm gonna guess it seems like there's easily a third less people that are actually working in the business in the in the major label business than used mm. to be when you and I were were there full time, I would guess half. Um, half. I, just from the people that I work with at the majors, major indies, looking at their teams, it's uh, in some instances it's half. It just depends on on how you look at it because if you think about it, back before um, digital downloads really took off, and then later streaming, we had branches in yeah. all of the major cities. Right. And it was Henry Droz from Warner Music who really was the pioneer in having these regional uh, branched uh, distribution offices. And so 
you had all the majors and all of them, and there were like six at the, six majors at the time, not mm-hmm. three. Um, and they had these these offices staffed with marketing and salespeople, and they had local radio teams, and it there were a lot of people employed. And then as we moved to downloads, the other thing was that we didn't have to necessarily call on, you know, Musicland, Sam Goody, you know, uh, Fye, uh, Tower, Warehouse. There, there were all these retail chains started to kind of go away, and pretty soon you had instead of dozens of accounts, you had a handful of you know, Apple Music. Well, it wasn't Apple, it was iTunes at the time. And then mm-hmm. later, Apple Music, Pandora, Deezer, Amazon Music. So a lot less accounts, a lot less branches, smaller teams because they can deal with uh, the digital delivery. If it's 84% streaming, yeah, you still have to deal with some physical product, but not like we used yeah. to. Yeah. yeah. Okay. No, I'm with you. Half. That, that, that's probably correct. Um um, it, look, it's a guess. It's a total guess. You know, uh, but just, uh, you know, judging from what I've seen, you know, maybe somebody will call us and tell us that we're, we're way off. But uh, it's, it's a whole different music business, but it is ramping up again. I see, uh, especially distribution companies now, hiring more people. They don't call it sales and marketing so much. It's really more about uh, revenue generation or commerce. They use those terms a lot because of the fact that it's... 84% streaming. There you go. Exactly. Well, hey, let's jump over to this. You know, you and I have talked about this before we actually start hit the record button. Uh, this is from musicxtechxfuture.com. Uh, uh, how do you discover new music? Mm. And um, there's some stuff in here I wasn't familiar with. Right. But it's, you know, this is, and we've talked, you know, this is, this particular question goes back to probably the very beginning of the music industry is how do we, how do you discover new music and how do we get our new music that we're distributing and, and promoting in front of these people? Mm-hmm. And any surprises for, for you from this? Yeah, well, this is really more European based. Yes, it is. Um, so I learned about some platforms that this was written by Martin Walraven Freeling. Um, and like you said, for Music X, um, and I, I love reading their stuff, but um, we can go through some of the things that he's done, but I would really like to hear how you discover music and also maybe talk about some of the ways that maybe we didn't discover music a few years ago, like TikTok and like yeah. Twitch and maybe even Roblox. And there are ways that we're discovering music that we didn't years ago because the platforms maybe uh, didn't exist during the pandemic. There were so many live streaming events that I discovered a lot of music via these live streaming events. Mm -hmm. You know, like one of my favorite ones was I would watch these artists that would play almost in the round, so to speak. They were set like four separate windows and one artist would play a song and then it would move to the next one and they would, and I would typically tune in to hear one artist but there were three artists, maybe two or three that I hadn't even heard of. And I discovered so much great music that way, yeah. right? That's kind of new. So he starts off the article by saying, okay, there's these, you know, gatekeepers. Okay. You know, um, that might, the one he listed on here that I really like is Pitchfork. Yep. And he didn't necessarily say very, 
uh, kind things. No, he, he said, wasn't. you know, once my once my go to place for music discovery, but I can't remember the last time I read a <laughs> review on their site. I get their emails. I'm, I'm on their list, and mm-hmm. I love uh, reading th- those articles and. You know, look, they're a little cooler and hipper and trendier than I am. So a lot of the music that they pop on there, I'm like, yeah, it's not really my thing. But sometimes it is. Um, so I, I love, you know, this first part. So that's these these gatekeepers. And he talks about people and platforms that I you know, one of them on BBC Six Music, which, of course, you know, in the UK, I wouldn't be um, necessarily there. One I hadn't heard of um, called First Floor. Uh, a weekly newsletter by uh, Sean uh, Ronaldo, mm-hmm. um, and that's really more centered around EDM, you know that that space. Um, but that was the first one. Um, uh, gatekeepers. Anything you pulled out of that? Well, no, no. That, yeah, that's. It's funny that we we talk about gatekeepers still. But you know, in terms of my personal thing, the the most amazing thing that ever happened for me personally l- listening and discovering new music was Shazam. That just changed everything because, you know, I, That's we're, a good point. we're all out and about. And, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times I went into a store and I heard a song in the old days, pre, pre-Shazam, uh, where you go, God, who, what is that? And, you know, yeah. typically in retail stores, they have no idea what it is. It's just some satellite feed or it's, or it's um, you know, those, those subscription services that they do. And they have no way of looking it up. And, I mean, that would always drive me nuts, especially when my kids were younger, because we'd be going in these stores and, and you listen to these songs and it's like, God, that's a great song. What is it? I mean, it, it, right. you were stuck. And Maybe you try I, to remember some of the you lyrics. You try to remember some of the lyrics and you go home and look at yeah, Even when the internet still you know, was, was up, you could go and try to find it. But um, that for me, that is still continues to be the most, you know, the most go-to thing that I do to, because I'll hear something and like it and then I got to find out what it is. And then it goes into the Shazam yeah. folder and playlist and and we're up and running and you know they talk about also in here obviously lists and playlists um and i'm still you know i'm still a big fan of listening to radio here in southern california we are blessed Mm -hmm. with a couple of great npr or public radio stations we've got kcrw and they have a morning show a morning becomes eclectic which is a music show which i tune into all the time and then we also have kcsn which is the cal state northridge station which all of these things you can get online obviously um and that is that's got a reach here in Southern California that's that's basically a commercial station reach, but it is is exclusively music, uh, public radio, and I, yeah. I listen to so many. Again, you're you're kind of back to your trusted source, you know. Is that because you drive a little bit? I'm in more my car a lot, yeah, and um, I just kind of got and you know I'll catch it in the morning, catch it at lunch, catch it, and I now I listen to it on the app in my office. Mm. So you know, so so it's kind of old school, but it's 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 new school radio, but it's, yeah. you know, it's kind yeah. of, kind of old school stuff still. And yeah. And I think that's how most people are. Um, they have a radio in their car. A lot of them, you know, the average uh, age of a car in the U S is like 11 and a half years and mm-hmm. they still have CD players. A lot of them, mine yes. doesn't, but a lot of them do. And you mentioned lists and playlists. That's kind of my radio. Um, I wish I listened to more radio, but, I really like um, these playlists on Apple yeah. Music and uh, Spotify. And I was listening to this one uh, the other day it, called Country Coffee House. And it's really not country. It's really more Americana, which I have a passion for. I love singer-songwriters. And 
these these songs were so good. I listened to that playlist probably <laughs> three times because it was I could do it while I worked. It wasn't uh-huh. super distracting. It was really melodic. And then after a while, I'm starting to sing along. Like it's like radio. Like yeah. I'm starting to know the song. So I love Discover Weekly, Release Radar, and even uh, Radio uh, on on Spotify. I think that uh, Apple Music does a great job of curating. Um, and I remember um, a friend of mine used to work at uh, Apple, and he would curate a lot of these uh, playlists. He's he's since passed away, unfortunately. The guy's name is Gary Stewart, just oh. an amazing music guy. He yeah. used to be, work at Rhino. And it, anyway, he and I would get on these you know hour long discussions uh, on the phone over coffee about you know what should be in this playlist, and it couldn't just be your favorite song. It had to be like, has this you know is this still in their set list? Is it a fan favorite? Has it ever been in a film or a movie? You know, and he always had these questions like, why does this belong in this playlist? And I just, I, it's so subjective, but it was just so much fun uh, getting in those debates with Gary. One of the things on here too that that was interesting is, you know, a great way to find out to, about new music is to find a label that releases consistently great music. And we're really talking indie labels here. And, you know, you forget, or I forget, especially because we worked in the major label system for a while, which don't really have that teensy maybe bit, but they don't really have that kind of uh, consistent great music. You know, it's it's far more varied. And so they mention mm-hmm. a bunch of different independent labels on here. And I used to work for a label like that. when I, My first gig was at SST, which was a label founded by Black Flag here in LA. Mm-hmm. And we had we had fans of the label, whatever, whatever we put out, and we had a newsletter. This is way before the internet and all that stuff. Um, you know, people would buy the music if it was on SST because they just knew that yeah. that, that was something they would likely be interested in. And That's you crazy to about me. that. Yeah, there's a lot. I, of I think it's like great because remember there w- there was a time where labels like a Motown or something it was very consistent. You knew what you were going to get. Same yeah. with SST, and then that kind of went away when you've got labels like Atlantic you know, or Columbia, they're great labels, but they do every genre under the sun. It's not like you go, Hey, you know, I need to get the new Warner brothers record that comes out this week. No, you don't. But there are labels, you know, when I worked at uh, Warner uh, and ADA, they had these, you know, beggars, sub pop merge. And two of the labels that I loved almost everything they put out were none such and new West. Yeah, and I still love listening to those. They're so consistent in the quality of the music, and you kind of know what you're going to get. Like new, new West, you know, it sounds like that. Really, um, I don't know how to describe it. Like alternative Americana singer songwriter. I don't know, you know, how to put a label on it. I just know it's good, good music. Yeah, and you like it. They've course, they of course mentioned gaming too, of course, and gaming soundtracks a great gateway into new music. And I would add that surprised to- me a little bit, only because I'm not a gamer. Yes, and I do know that games are a thing, and I know that you know uh, people are putting music in games, and we talk about uh, things like Roblox, you know, and Lil Nas X, and all of that. But uh, that surprised me a little bit. Well, and and I, you know, getting back to my Shazam thing, whenever I'm watching anything on TV. Netflix, HBO, whatever, I've got my phone in my hand because of, you know, there's so much great music that's on soundtracks and, you know, I, I, I want to hear that. And so, you know, I would I would kind of lump gaming and movies and television all into the same bucket, which is, you know, you're when you're watching other things that it, it'll pop up. 
you and I both do that. Like I have my Shazam ready whenever I'm uh, watching anything. And we had an artist. I'm so glad you uh, mentioned this because I, I it, it popped back into my head. Um, last night we had an artist who um, had music and video play out entertainment tonight. Uh, the artist is Ben Barnes. Uh-huh. He's uh, he's an actor, a very uh, popular actor, you know. Um, and he's released his first single, came out Friday, called Eleven uh, Eleven. And what was really fun was watching the Shazam count after he was on Entertainment Tonight. Um, oh, and it was just yeah. maybe, I don't know, 20 seconds as they faded out the, the show. But it was the right 20 seconds. Right. And you and I talked about this other... Uh, client, I was working with Malia J, who had uh, the song in um, the Black Widow, Marvel's Black Widow yes. movie, and that was crazy. Um, I haven't looked in a little while, but it was it was closing in on a million Shazams. Yeah, people um, want to know who that is and what it is. Yeah, and that thing uh, goes wide um, October sixth, and I imagine those numbers are are going to climb. So I'm glad you mentioned like. Shazam and people sitting, you know, if they're watching a movie or watching uh, television, HBO, whatever it is, and because there's so much great music in those shows, um, that that tool is just oh yeah one of my fa- one of my favorites. And I will just and and I will you know be the last person out of the movie theater because I want to see what all those songs were, you know, and who the music supervisor was too. And of course, last on this list is, is basically video content online. And they mention NPR's tiny desk concert and, Mm -hmm. and uh, KEXP up in the, that's up in your neck of the woods. That's in Portland. KEXP. Yeah. I thought that was Seattle. Maybe it's Seattle. Yeah. It's, it's Pacific Northwest. It's in the, the global Pacific Northwest. If we're wrong, I'm sure somebody will correct us. (laughs) Right. But in fact, they do a link, to the Brittany Howard uh, performance on KEXP, oh, which brilliant. I sat and watched the whole thing because it was so great. Um, Dang. Yeah. So, uh, you know, just so many great ways of, of and then, you know, and, and I'll do the same thing, which I'm sure you do as well. You know, if I'll be reading the LA Times and I'll see somebody, a, a positive review about an album, I'll go back and, and I'll, you know, now, of course, now you can just listen to that album right away. In the old days, you'd have to go buy it, of course. But uh, now you have to you, find it first. You have to find it first. That's right. And then you, then you had to shell out some cash. Right. But anyway, so many different ways of doing it. Great article and fun to talk yeah. about that and, you know, see how everybody discovers new music. There's yeah. a lot of ways of doing it. Yep. And up next, how about this from Hypebot? Um, Sonically, that's a company. Mm, company. No, I think we're. I think you're skipping one. No, I did. <laughs> Dude, I'm sorry, Jay. That's all right. Uh, this is from Music Business Worldwide. There you go. TikTok is running everything, Jay. What the hell? <laughs> that sure grabbed my attention. This is actually part of a series from uh, Music Business Worldwide, one of our favorite sites. Um, they have this world's greatest manager series. Super cool, you know, yeah. where they interview these artist managers. And this one is uh, an interview with Frank Harris, you know, who has managed uh, Jason Derulo for the last 20 years. And I love this article because it's talking about a comeback. It's not yeah. something you normally hear about in the music industry. Um, I used to help uh, distribute and sell Jason Derulo music when I worked at Warner. He was on Warner Brothers Records. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, as the years go on and new people come in, uh, he got dropped. And then he and his manager, Frank Harris here, they they had really attacked and adopted TikTok. And holy cow, I looked this morning, what was the number? Uh, like 49.6 
million TikTok followers. <laughs> He's got a crazy great uh, business uh, on TikTok, so much so that he's been re-signed uh, this time to Atlantic Records under the uh, WIA umbrella. I just thought it was a, a great comeback story, and I love the fact that these guys found this new technology, they had adapted to it, and made it super successful. Well, yeah, it's a really interesting article because, first of all, the, his, the, the manager, Harris, he's, he's a retired professional basketball player in Europe. He had no music business experience at all. And apparently Jason Derulo was a, was a kid he just kind of bumped into in the basketball world. And so, you know, and they have been, they've been working together for a very long time. And it's interesting mm-hmm. to read because, you know, you said, yeah, they were without a label. But, but, yeah, they were without a label and they couldn't get the time of day from anybody else. So yeah. this, is a, this is an artist who had several number one tracks. Absolutely. And, and it, it, it's, when you... When you they kind of talk about how they were treated, you know, when they were kind of down and out, and it's pretty shameful. And you know, if you've worked in companies, you know that there's oftentimes a turnover, and it's new people come in, and they don't have a relationship with those for those other folks. And so, it's it's worth it to read, um, really, kind of just how how they really kind of put their own careers in there. Always, you do this, I suppose, but they really said, okay. We don't have a label. How are we going to get back in the game? And it's it's gratifying to read how they did uh, it, and they really, you know, kind of yeah. bootstrapped it and said, "Here we go." And of course, yeah. they they were this this all happened when I'm sure he was still successful touring. I don't know that, but I'm going to guess he probably. Might have been. Um, but of course, through the pandemic, they didn't have a, a that that revenue source was dried up. So yeah. it talks about how they kind of jumped in and and they really went for it on TikTok and committed the, the the resources to do so and put out as he you know they talk about the great creating great content really important yeah. to make everything good and look fantastic and they they committed and they spent the money and yeah the time the energy and you know he split from warner in 2020 you know and, and as a result you know like you mentioned he didn't have a, a recording contract and then the pandemic hit yep so the shows were canceled and you know, it didn't, it didn't look good. They were at home with time on their hands. So that's when they started doing the uh, TikTok videos. And I read this piece with a smile on my face. I just, I love seeing people overcome adversity. Yeah. And he's so talented. And I love what you just mentioned, which is they didn't just throw stuff up. They, you know, we always say the harder I work, the luckier I get yep. kind of thing. He's really lucky because he worked really hard and they put time in and there were multiple videos a day at one point. And I I just can't say enough good things about uh, this this whole thing because they could have just walked away and done something else. And they decided to go after this somewhat newer technology. And, you know, um, they're not teenagers. So. They decided to go after it and work hard, and I'm seeing people do that on Twitch and and other platforms, and they're making their own path, and I just love it. Yeah, well, and and the the real shining spot of of the article is that, and now they're back with deals that are far more favorable to them, and they've got uh, you know a lot of partnerships going on, a lot of brand partnerships, and you know they don't say these words, but my guess is they are just 
raking in the cash and you know yeah. good for them good for them and yeah. in a much better place um but boy it's worth it to see just kind of how they were treated you know as as they were you know there's a great deep purple documentary documentary where richie blackmore says you know talking to your manager he's like when 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 there when they were going up on the charts the manager said said we are going up on the charts and when they were going down the manager said you are going down <laughs> you know funny how that works funny how that works but uh you know this is a manager who was so invested in in Jason Derulo's career and and that partnership and that's really a gratifying relationship yeah. and to see how hard they worked yeah, you talk about revenue. Um, there was a question in this interview. He said, you know, so the the vast bulk of Jason's revenues now come away from recorded music. Mm-hmm. And he says, definitely, yeah. The The point of the deal is to keep the artist in a position where you always are in the red, unrecouped. Most artists have never seen a royalty check. So it's up to you to figure out a way to make your brand as big as you can make it. That was always my idea with Jason. If you do that, it allows you to pivot. It puts you in control. Yeah, absolutely. And and they, they said, so, so that's the overall goal. Is it to make Jason a billion-dollar brand across all sectors? Billion with a B. Billion with a B. And he said, I wouldn't bet against us. Love that. Yeah. Yeah. Super cool piece. Yeah, really, really well done. And, um, you know, you, again, I think that is the um, the challenge of the new music business is is how rapidly things change for artists and how rapidly um, labels and and managers and companies can move on from an artist, you know, at the at the drop of a hat, basically. And there's so many, uh, you know, the it's the business is so much bigger, so many more artists, so many more content creators. And so it's really hard for them to focus on the long game really. And, um, and yeah, it's, 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 what have you done for me lately? And yeah. And we, we like to tough. say this music business has changed while we've been on this conversation. <laughs> so a <laughs> yes. uh, great piece in music business worldwide by Dave Roberts. Nicely done, Dave. Yeah. Now let's go back in order with uh, from from what we said at the top, uh, which is this the next article from Hypebot, a new company called Sonically. Uh, mm-hmm. As they say, they learn from Pledge Music's mistakes to launch a music crowdfunding platform that works. Well, you you were pretty close to Pledge Music. Yeah. What's give us like the the quick overview of what happened and and how quickly that happened. Oh my gosh, Pledge Music was so amazing for so long. It was it. it in my mind, it became kind of like the new Tower Records. I couldn't wait to get their email to see what was coming. I couldn't wait to see all the cool products, like your favorite bands. It wasn't just crowdfunding their new uh, album. It, there'd be like signed drum heads or staged used guitars mm-hmm. or experience. It, I, it was just amazing. And I had some artists on Pledge Music that a couple of them hadn't seen uh, a royalty check <laughs> per our last uh, article, but they were making, you know, six figure um, paychecks from Pledge Music. Uh, it was a thing, and I liked the people I was dealing with there. Um, unfortunately, it wasn't managed properly, and the money wasn't managed properly. And there were a lot of finger pointing, and we won't get into that on this discussion, but suffice it to say, uh, they went under, and I was dealing with them during that time. So like my my product manager, label manager, 
you know, he would be let go and I'd be moved to somebody else. And I kept getting higher and higher up the food chain until one of the top uh, executives of the company was dealing with me. And I thought that was odd, you know, that they were letting so many people go and it was going so fast. And then all of a sudden everything went dark and they owed a couple of my artists a lot of money and that they'll, they will never see. And, you know, I've spoken to music industry attorneys who are looking into this because it's a, a UK based company. I think they call it, it's in administration, which is their kind of, uh, you know, uh, version of going bankrupt, you know? Mm-hmm. And so there's different rules and regulations. Long story short, I saw something really cool, really beautiful that had really energized the industry and it went away. And I thought, well, <clears throat> Either people are going to be, you know, once bitten, twice shy, and they're going to go away from it, or someone's going to come up with a, another platform. Well, that was a long time ago. Um, you know, that was a couple of years. And so, well, finally, someone stepped up, this company called Sonically, and they claim to learn from these mistakes, especially on the money side. And if you go to their website, it says, fund your music your way the direct-to-fan funding platform built for music creators. We are currently accepting projects by invitation, and you can kind mm-hmm. of sign up for that. I am um, both um, you know, a little worried <laughs> about this, but also really very excited about it. I'm surprised more people aren't talking about this right now, and it's probably because it's not really publicly launched. Um, but if it does what it says it will do, I'm... I'm really excited about it. Well, and one of the things that that uh, Sonically has done, which is which could be considered controversial, is they have uh, they have basically brought aboard Pledge Music co-founder Benji Rogers as a consultant, and um, I think it's probably a good idea because you know, as you said, Pledge Music at one time was fantastic, and then it wasn't, and they had a lot of problems, but. Who else would know kind of the, the the ins and outs of that business but somebody who was involved in it from, from the beginning? And right. so um, it's clear that they 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 are going out of their way to, to, to keep the money away, for, you know, to, to have it essentially um, uh, controlled by a third party. So that's right. So that's that's, that, right. that's the really the big difference here. To and they seem Huge. to be very yeah. very very. Uh, uh, they want to make sure that it, that it, it doesn't happen to what happened with Pledge Music. That's that's, that's, that's the right. bottom they're, line. Yeah, their co-founder and CEO uh, Andrew Izell, he says, you know, we wanted to learn from what went wrong, um, and by engaging with their team, we were able to steer clear of the rocks that they hit, because you know, Sonically's platform fee is five percent do it payout, and then their partner Stripe receives its usual three to five percent credit card processing fees. So, you know, let's say that's 10%. I believe Pledge Music, it's been a while since I worked with them, but I think my last campaign there, I think they took 15%. Okay, yeah. So it's still less than what Pledge Music, but the, the difference there was Pledge Music built up this massive audience and they were getting offers from some pretty big artists with pretty big fan bases. Sonically needs to um, get to that critical mass. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm I'm encouraged. I'll put it that way because yeah. you know yeah, we need somebody too. like this in the space. And you you mentioned Stripe, and and that's kind of their third party um, that they're working with. I'm not familiar with them, but there there is I think there might be a link here. Um, yeah, so I, I am I am 
I am hopeful that this this something this is going to come back because, like I said, I think we really, really need this in the space. Yeah. And so yeah, nobody's really talking about this right now. And this was kind of this story was uh, from our good friend Bruce Houghton, mm-hmm. uh, who runs a uh, Hypebot, and kudos to him and his team for um, talking about this. But we will um, we will follow this story closely because this could be a thing. Yes, 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 yes. So our last story, the Jay, our last story of the day, Jay, uh, is interesting. So first of all, well, this is from Ludwig van Toronto, and it's it talks about there's a new documentary coming out, and it's yep. the documentary is called Listening to Kenny G, and in, he talks about first of all talking about the documentary, but also it, it's asking the question, what is good music, and is there a more polarizing figure in music than Kenny G? If there is, I can't think of it. Nickelback, I don't know. Nickelback, probably yeah. not. No, it's Kenny G. Look, this this is a documentary, as you mentioned. You know, it's um, at the Toronto International Film Festival. I imagine that's why it broke on this Ludwig van Toronto um, website. And you and I are huge documentary fans. Anybody who listens to the show knows that. And you're my go-to guy when it comes to documentaries. And we have a couple to talk about here. But, you know, I want to see this. And, and am I a Kenny G fan? No. Do I dislike him? No. I don't have, you know, it's just maybe... You know, you talk about things like smooth jazz, and there's, it's it's confusing for people because there's jazz, you know, mm-hmm. and then there's smooth jazz, and they're not even close. You know, smooth jazz is more uh, of a, you know, uh, R and B uh, instrumental in a lot of cases. It's it's with really good, you know, um, where they use the instrument as more of a voice, um, as you know, it's it's totally different than you know uh, traditional jazz. You know, there's a line in here that I you mentioned to me earlier before we started recording, you know, despite his obvious musicianship, I mean, the guy can play. Yes. You know, the style it grates on critics. They just hate him, you know, and I don't think a lot of that's warranted. Um, he's gotten a lot of disparaging reviews and, I, uh, you know, but he's also sold upwards of 75 million records. So <laughs> somebody likes him. Somebody likes him. Yeah. And it's kind of the, you know, we, we, we hear about the, you mentioned Nickelback and for whatever, it, there's always, every generation has a, a, an artist that is perceived by critics or by fans as being kind of a sellout or just being not cool. And right. The disco it, sucks thing. Yeah. You know? It's just like people. Yeah. But, but in this case, and, and like you said, he's, I, I discovered Kenny G before he became Kenny G when he was just Kenny Gorlick. And he was in a band with this guy, a keyboard player who I was a fan of named Jeff Lorber. And mm. Jeff Lorber had a band called Jeff Lorber Fusion. And they had a great album called, I think it's called Wizard Island, something like that. And around 19, so these are world class musicians. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was in that band. I remember hearing him going, "I could could wail. What a great player!" And you know how rare is it for us for like a kind of a fusion sax player to get his own solo deal, and then to have this kind of success? And he has figured it out. Love him or hate him, the guy knows his his audience. He knows he knows how to market himself. He knows what music resonates with his artist and yet and he doesn't care that his critics hate he doesn't care yeah and i probably wouldn't care if i had the the house he has in malibu (laughs) and the and the planes he has and you know yeah but the the one line from this article that that i highlighted because i thought it it really summed things up is, is it says jazz is about improvisation and organic interplay between the musicians 
Kenny G's music is instead structured like pop music, where he's the one star and focal point, and the rest of the ensemble exists to make him look good, or sound good, I mean. The, the sax is mixed like the vocals typically are, right up front. And whether you love him or hate him, it, it begs the question, you know, what is good music? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you on the spot and, and ask you a question we hadn't talked about, because... <laughs> My, my friend Jeff Mosco puts out these, well, puts out to friends. He creates these guilty pleasures um, uh-huh. CDs. And there are artists that you may not tell people that you listen to, that you like, um, but you do. Are there one or two of those that you, you'd be willing to admit that you listen to that maybe aren't super cool? Oh yeah, I mean a ton, ton. Now, now, can I think of them right now? I can't. Oh, um, yeah, I right. wish you would have told me ahead of time because I would have sort of gone back to. Them. But yeah, I mean my 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 playlists and my CD cabinet are filled with with art with acts like yeah. that. Um, but you know, you and I are also uh, fans of pop music. You know. And so a lot of that stuff is is can be a guilty pleasure, um, mm-hmm. but I will recount a, 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 a as I was reading this article, I was thinking back, and I'm not going to say this A and R person's name because lots of people would, everybody would know this name, um, but at the time, uh, Collective Soul had come out, and this person just hated Collective Soul. And hmm. and I love that Collective Soul album, <laughs> and I didn't want to stand up in the meeting and say, "What's your problem with Collective Soul?" But you know, much the same as Kenny G, much the same as you've named Nickelback. There's just a lot Kiss. of these, Kiss, yeah. Actually, lots of bands have have stigmas about them, and it's just They're a polarizing. Funny thing. Yeah, and I worked for, and I, you know, I mentioned my my first gig at, at SST Records, this punk label, and they were very. Most of the people that worked there were very very snooty about the music and they had a, a phrase it was too mersh m-e-r-s-h which went which was short for commercial and so yeah that's just mersh crap mersh yeah. crap and it's like commercial says to me successful yeah <laughs> popular it, that's right and i just always kind of you know tilt my head i'm like well okay you know you don't have to like it but it's like is it bad because lots of people like it i don't know but like you said i so, don't think there's a you know look there there are publications that you and I know of and they only write positive things about you know Bob Dylan REM whatever you know these darlings of indie mm-hmm. press and you know and even pitchfork to a lesser degree uh, Rolling Stone maybe for a while there were just certain things that they would only um, write about and write positively about but I think there's great stuff in every mood every genre you know whether it's heavy metal whether it's EDM country I love all that stuff. And there are some artists that just rub people the wrong way. And I'm, I'm sorry, Kenny G, you know, that you have to put up with all of this, but you know what? He's laughing all the way to the bank and, and good for him. Um, we were talking about documentaries before we wrap up. I, I wanted to tell you that as I was trying to find a clip from this documentary about Kenny G listening uh, to Kenny G, um, I saw that there's this HBO documentary series coming this fall. Now, of course, we are in this fall, so hopefully soon. Um, But it's an HBO documentary series called Music Box, and it's six different films. And there's one on Robert Stigwood, one on Alanis Morissette, one on uh, the newer Woodstock, one on DMX, and one on Kenny G, as a matter of fact, Mm. and one on Juice World. And I know that you like... Uh, documentaries as much as I do, so we'll we'll keep an eye out 
uh, and an ear out for those. And, and the Alanis Morissette one, she has uh, she is no longer supporting. And so there, there was a big article in the LA Times about how she is very disappointed on the way it turned out. And so which, it wasn't what she envisioned. It wasn't what she envisioned exactly. And then on on the flip side, I mentioned to you before we came on. I also watched, just caught a, a documentary last night on Netflix called Count Me In. That is a, a drummer documentary, all about drummers. And so, a great title. Really, it's really a, it, it'll put a smile on your face. One of the cool things is they have a lot of footage of of, of just kids learning to play drums. <laughs> it's absolutely hysterical. But but it's got you know Chad Smith from the Chili Peppers. It's got Stephen Perkins oh, wow. from Jane's Addiction. It's got uh, oh just a ton of ton of well known drummers talking about drumming. And uh, where did uh, you see it? It's on Netflix. It's a Netflix, Netflix. one. Yeah, okay. called Count I, Me gonna... In. So. I'm going to watch that. Worth, worth watching, yeah. Count me in. And on that note, Jay, we do need to wrap up this episode. I do want to thank our sponsors because without them, we could not do this. TiVo Music, Metadata, Bandzoogle, our good friends at Hypebot, and Bands. Thanks, Bruce. A thousand thank yous to all. And of course, to our listening audience. We, we Jay and I really appreciate it because we know there's so many fantastic podcasts out there and the fact that... Uh, yeah. You listen to us uh, brings us joy and pleasure and appreciation. So thanks. Thank for you very that. much. That's right. And so, folks, have a great week. And we will be back next week on the Your Morning Coffee podcast. You've been listening to Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news program for the new music business. Join Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchard next time for the digital music news you need to know.